Let's pray. Father, I ask uh, that as I share now, uh, that you would use me, uh, that you would fill me with your spirit, that you would help um, what I say and how we reflect on your word um, to connect with people's hearts and minds now, and even that your spirit would be at work in many places as your word goes forth. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, I wonder, I wonder what you're passionate about. Like, what has God called you to? What can you pour your life into? See, I want you to know what this is and to spend yourself in such a way that you have a lasting impact. Not impact for a moment, but a sustained, lasting impact. You see, you can pour your life into many things. And you could come up with your own list. Uh, serving others, serving the poor, training up children or youth, loving the unlovable, encouraging others, being generous. You could use your talents with people or with money or with words. You might be a prayer warrior, a worship leader, a person that delivers food, or a person that's always on the end of the phone for others. What are you passionate about? What has God called you to? What can you pour your life into? This will look different for different people. What about you? So I want to I want to start by throwing us into some things this morning with a personal experience. And I'll focus on the example of leading a church because that's where I'm at. Um, but I want you to take your own situation um, and you'll you'll see parts of what I share, principles from what I share that I imagine will apply, hopefully, into your situation. At university, I studied to be leading a church. Uh, in my final year, I met Dwight. Uh, Dwight had just started his ministry in a Pentecostal church near to where I was studying. And this was the sort of church where preaching is like a form of cardio, right? Where you shout and you bang the pulpit, and Dwight would preach Sunday morning, Sunday evening, Wednesday evening, every week. Dwight was just a little ways ahead of me. Um, he was in his mid to late 20s. Uh, he had a young family. Uh, the church that he was leading was too small to offer him a salary, and so he took an extra job to make ends meet. Initially, I thought Dwight was living the dream, right? What faith Dwight had to be willing to live on a small income to pour his heart into this church. Over that next year, uh, we built a friendship, and I watched this man fall apart. He started with passion that turned to apathy. His physical health deteriorated. He couldn't handle the stress of the job. He would tell me things like, this is, I think this is almost word for word something he said once. Did you know that pastors have seven years less life expectancy than other professions? And whether that's true or not, he believed it. And it left me wondering, did God call me to this? Has God called me to the stress and agony that I can see in Dwight? Could that really be God's plan? You think I would have learned something, 
But that next September, I started my first full-time position in a church as a youth pastor, and I did the exact same thing. A year and three months later, I was so stressed that it would take me years to process my bitterness toward God. Was it God's fault? No. I simply didn't know how to handle the demands of church life in a way that would keep me healthy. You see, passion can carry you for a year, or adrenaline can carry you for a year. Passion with wisdom and moderation will carry you for a lifetime. And so for people that lead churches, there are dramatically different stats that get thrown around. Some stats are super negative, like years off of your life. And other stats, by the way, Joe and Alexa Karras, don't worry, it's okay. Other stats uh, would say things like that people who lead churches have some of the highest job satisfaction. And it makes you think, how can the two live together? Or do they, or do, are they, do they both coexist in different people? And obviously that's complicated. And see, often I see church leaders in two very different places that, you'll, that will make sense. The one is I see church leaders that are pushing too hard in a way that is unhealthy and can't last. And the other thing I see sometimes is church leaders that have settled into a way of doing ministry that is fruitless and half-hearted. Both are incredibly unfortunate. And then we come to Elijah here in 1 Kings 19. He's full of faith. He's an example that we should aspire to. And then in 1 Kings 19, he crashes. I love the honesty we find in Scripture and here in this passage. We're with Elijah in his highs, but also in the lows that follow. And here he gets so low that he says, I wish I could die. I want you to know what God has called you to. I want you to pour yourself out. I don't want you to go so far that you feel like this. You see here, Elijah, I think, becomes a cautionary tale that many of us can identify with. When you come to the end of yourself and when your judgment is clouded, Elijah says, I'm the only one left, when surely he knows he's not the only one left. Elijah is one of the most significant leaders in Israel at the time. He said three years of struggle and on the back of this big win that we looked at last week, he wants to just give up. Ahab and Jezebel can win. Many of us have felt this way. As I said, for me, it was years of bitterness towards God that I had to process, or years that, for years I had to process that bitterness towards God. And it wasn't God's fault, but it, with my emotions, I couldn't see that. Some of you have poured yourselves out towards something that is right and good, and then said, I'm never doing that again. And so I want you to see here in 1 Kings 19 what Elijah needed in the midst of his distress. And the first thing I want you to see is that he needed rest and food. It's not complicated. He needed to sleep and eat and sleep some more. Look at it in verse 5. 
Then he lay down under a bush and fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. He needed to sleep, eat, and sleep some more. For many of us, this season even, has been a very difficult season of change, great change, and anxiety. Can I encourage you to be generous with yourself? Take time to sleep and eat. Maybe not under a bush. (laughs) You can find a more comfortable place than that. So the first thing we see with Elijah here is he needed rest and food. The second thing we see here is that he needed to meet with God. And now this is a profound passage uh, in verses 11 and 12. And I almost don't want to put words to it because I don't want to take away from how profound it is. But let me, let me read just that, that key passage, verses 11 and 12. It says this. The Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. Notice that God here isn't where people expect. Like a powerful wind that tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks. That's power. Or an earthquake, a fire. Then God shows up in a gentle whisper. Let me add that you need to slow down to hear a gentle whisper. The first thing Elijah needed was to rest and eat. Second thing he needed was to meet with God. And the third thing we see here is that he needed help. See, in verse 15, we read this. The Lord said to him, go back the way you came. Go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint the king over Aram. Verse 16, anoint the king over Israel. And then later in verse verse 16, anoint Elisha um, to succeed you as prophet. And then as well, it goes further in verse 18, where Elijah thought that he was on his own, that he was alone. It says there that there are still 7,000 that have not bowed the knee to Baal. And what I get from this is Elijah needs to anoint other people to what they're meant to do and needs to uh, essentially bring up Elisha. It's not just about Elijah. He needs to depend on others. He needs to let his ministry continue beyond himself. He's not alone. And throughout this passage, we see that God is very much at work. God sent angels to comfort Elijah. He invited Elijah to meet with him. He strengthened him for 40 days and nights. He invited him to the mountain of God. He invites Elijah into the cave, probably similar to the cave or where Moses met with God. He corrects his misunderstanding that as if he's alone, but actually there's 7,000 have not bowed the knee. He teaches a lesson to him and speaking to him by a whisper and then sends him back to the northern kingdom. 
See, for many of us, what can happen is either we settle for a life that isn't what God has called us to. It's safe. Or what happens is we go off the other direction. And instead what we do is we pour ourselves into something, but actually we find that we can't maintain it. We need to find a middle way, a way that is healthy, that is with moderation, that has wisdom, where we pour ourselves out in such a way that we can do it for the long haul. Don't know if you've ever seen these sort of, um, you can look on YouTube and it's fantastic to see some of these world records that have been made um, in putting dominoes up so that one knocks over the next one and the next one. And you could see like 50,000 dominoes. What's interesting to me with that is that you could take, you know, for example, you might get excited about that and, and you know, well, you probably don't own enough dominoes, but, um, and you could for an hour think, I'm gonna set up the most amazing set of dominoes. And maybe after 10 minutes, I think I'd probably get bored with it. Um, but maybe you push through to 20 minutes or you push through to an hour and it might be impressive what you're able to do. If you're gonna set up 50,000 dominoes, that's gonna take a super long time or a very big team. But what's impressive to me is the impact of perseverance, the kind of, of, of consistency, the power of what, um, what something done again and again and again can do. Or sometimes you'll walk these stone paths and you can see from a hundred years of wear, you can see how it's worn away the stone. That doesn't happen in a day. You see, what I want for you is for your life to make a massive difference because of consistency and persistence in doing what God has called you to do. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the example of Elijah. I thank you for his faith. I thank you for the ways that he was willing to stand for you. I pray that you would help us to stand for you as well. Pray that you would help us to be filled of, with faith. Pray that you would help us to know you're calling on us and to pour ourselves out. But I also pray that we would learn from Elijah's low points. That we would learn um, wisdom. That we'd learn how to respond when we, when we need to be generous with ourselves. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.